Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. So, US inflation is now running at 4.2% on an annual basis, according to the CPI for April. Producer prices have been rising the world over as the input costs for production creep up. But we're told by central banks that all of this is just temporary. Inflation may kick above the level that they're happy with, the level at which they would normally, when inflation gets too high, start pushing up their interest rates. Because almost every central bank is saying that inflation that we're seeing at the moment is only transitory. So does that mean companies were pushing up their prices now will pull them back down again later? When does that ever happen? So is it transitory? And if it is, what follows? Less inflation or perhaps deflation, which is something that analysts were talking about before the pandemic hit? We'll look at all of that today on the Debunking Economics podcast with Professor Steve Keen. I'm Phil Dobby. Welcome along. So it's interesting isn't it, how the US, Steve, is seeing inflation creeping up, even though they've got 8 million people who were in work before the pandemic who are not working now. So, I mean, you can, and obviously the circumstances are extenuating this time, aren't they? Because it, cause it is, um, this inflation is largely driven because of supply chain difficulties. But it shows you can have creeping inflation without reaching anywhere near full employment. You can have a, quite a high level of unemployment but still see inflation kicking in. Yeah, I mean, this, this is a very unusual experience. Yeah. So that, that's, you know, let's you know, put it, frame it properly. There's, um, this is the first time we've actually had a recession that was caused by um, uh, a shock to the economy, mm. which I mean, is, you know, is almost a reason for the neoclassicals to break out the champagne because that's what they think everything is caused by, shocks to the economy. Well, here's a shock. Um, but what, what c- comes out of that is a large amount of supply chain disruption um, which is something we haven't ever ever had as a major issue in any previous uh, you know, outbreak of inflation, like for example the 1980s. When you when you go back to there, uh, the, the 1970s to the early 1980s, that was before America began to on mass ship its production facilities offshore to the third world to take advantage of low wages. Uh, China didn't enter that game until 81, 82. Um, so you didn't have the same capacity to shock the um, supply chain back then that you have this time around. And then when you do it, uh, what it means is suddenly stuff just isn't available. And so um, the the normal expectation economists have is, well, cut the supply price will rise, you know, intersecting supply and demand serve stuff. But in reality, this tends to have an, an aggregate demand impact as well. And if you have uh, economy which has got very sluggish demand, and you hit it with something like that, then you have suddenly you, you, what you get coming out of it potentially is a drop in consumption, not an increase in price. So there's the supply side price shock can come in. For example, I believe lumber has gone up dramatically in yeah. America. Yeah. Okay. So, okay. Uh, so something uh, like twelve or thirteen percent increase in the cost of building a house because of the increase in the price of wood in the United States. Yeah, which is huge. Mm. Yeah. Now, now, what then? The question then is, well, what is what's the flow through effect of that? So if you're in a, a booming economy when people are borrowing hand over fist, go and build those houses so they can get them to flip that house, the flip that house game, then they'll go take out additional credit 
to finance that increase in the, the cost of materials. And that additional credit turns up as part of aggregate demand in the economy as well. And out of the two, you will get a flow through of that uh, increase in supply price. There'll be an increase in, in wages coming out of it as well. That will again come back and both kick up uh, prices, but also kick up aggregate demand. And you get a, a demand-driven, aggregate demand-driven uh, follow-through from that initial supply uh, shortage yeah. uh, disturbance. So is that what's happening now? Then do you think because we're coming? No, because when, but we yeah. are coming. <laughs> but we are we are seeing demand increase because we're all coming out of uh, you know out of the yeah. crisis in various parts of the world and people are getting back to work uh, and you know and they can shop where they couldn't before and you know so this supply chain disruption is pushing prices up because the demand has increased. There's a there's a there's a touch of that there, but the touch is going to be attenuated by uh, the inability of anybody to turn that dipping into their pocket into into dipping into the bank credit. Mm. Um, because again, I mean, it, 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 this when you again looking at the data, it hasn't been the household sector that's borrowed money uh, during the pandemic. The, the level of household debt to GDP has risen, not because households have borrowed more money, but because GDP has fallen. So yeah. that, you know, the denominator has fallen, the ratio rises. But corporates have. Corporates have taken on a large amount of additional debt, uh, larger because I think they've had to do that to be able to maintain solvency and have any be able to meet, meet their commitments by extending their credit their credit lines. Um, but then they're not going to keep on doing it. So the 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 flow through that means that an initial supply shock, which we're seeing now, and initial additional spending because yes, people are coming out of being you know having to live as uh, as, as hermits for the last year and a half and the other spending to celebrate not being hermits anymore. Uh, but the sustainability of that out of cash flows is limited. If you want to keep it going, then you, 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 you uh, given the level of debt people, and they've got to borrow more and they're not going to borrow more. So I just don't think the stimulus overall is, is going to be there to sustain that level of price rise. Well, they're going to have to push their prices up, aren't they? I mean, even you know, ignoring these supply chain issues, if you've got a, a lot of companies that have borrowed to survive, then and they have to recoup that money because they can't borrow forever, and you know, and they they're not going to see full demand for a while yet. I don't think. Then they're going to have to push their prices up to try and pay back some of that debt, aren't they? Yeah, but then the question is just how how effectively can they do it at the aggregate level? So, hmm. I mean, if you individual, yes, you go, you put your prices up. Uh, what's going to be the impact of that on you now? If you have the booming economy we had back at the end of the 60s, which is when inflation first took off. So if you look at the, the data, the real takeoff to inflation between uh, still very low in 69, I think 71, 72, 73, it began to really expand. Um, and so the 71 to 75 period is where you see the, the big jump in inflation initially with an, at the same time an enormous credit bubble going on globally. Um, so that's that's your initial boost. Uh, now, so in that world, uh, when you put your individual prices up because you have to, then the money is created by the, 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 the new credit coming into the economy to enable that to be sustained over time. But when you have what's happening now, um, mm. you're not going to have that sustained capability. And and this is this is where thinking about it in terms of the actual cost structure of firms becomes important because in in neoclassical textbooks uh the higher the supply the higher the price of production their, their models have a rising supply curve so you have to pay more uh if you want to if you want to get more of thing produced you've got to pay a higher price for it that's all based on the idea of what they call diminishing marginal productivity so to produce more output you've got to hire more workers 
working in the same amount of machinery, their productivity goes down and therefore the amount being produced goes down relatively. You you get more of an increase in cost and you get an increase in output and that puts your prices up. In the real world, firms face declining, constant or declining marginal cost. So rather than um, the firm uh, having a rising levels of marginal costs causing its prices to rise it actually if it can expand output it has that's demand increases in cost of production. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and in that world you, your markup rises your margin will rise without you doing anything about it because your per unit costs are falling yeah that's the real world yeah the, well, now, the real world which everyone would understand that you know does it cost you more per unit to create mm. one million of something versus creating 20 of them Obviously, it's a lot cheaper to create a million. And if the demand is there, then you're going to sell that million and you're going to be able to charge less for them. But the um, but th- this point about b- people being in debt, companies being, corporations being in debt yeah. and wanting to, to pay it back, they obviously, th- that the money they've borrowed is new money to the from commercial banks. It's mm. new money being created by commercial banks. So the money supply is increased. If the um, it, at the same time we've got governments creating money and spending, so that's more money being increased. So the the money supply, the M two, however you want to measure it, the money supply uh, it has increased hugely through through this um, through this crisis by the combination of corporate borrowing and governments. So governments are going to want to cut back on spending. Those corporations mm. are going to want to cut back on borrowing. So the money supply, uh, as they pay it back is going to start shrinking, isn't it? So that would, you could argue, would be deflationary rather than and that's, inflationary. that's what I think is going to happen, yeah. Mm. Because if we had the conditions of the, of the late 60s and early 70s uh, and you had this price shock coming through, and in a sense what we're talking about now um, is an extreme version of OPEC, which actually happened back in 73. Mm. So in the OPEC price rise after the Yom Kippur War, um, the Arab states put a blockade on sales to America, which increased the price of oil from $2.50 a barrel to 10 in one year. And now, in that situation, because there was already a boom going on at the same time, uh, there was an increase in the money supply because banks, firms would ta- access their lines of credit to pay that additional uh, cost rather than paying down their own cash reserves. And, and, and workers also, because it was a booming economy, demanded wage rises to make up for the high price, uh, cost of gas, and you got an inflationary surge, which was sustained. Mm. But this time round, because you know, there's just not that you, you're not going to go. You want to reduce your level of debt now. You don't want to increase it. So that that price rise will cause the prices to rise, margins to fall. Uh, but then there won't be a continuation of that demand. And I think we'll we'll see it going from. Uh, initial supply-driven price rise into a effectively a, a credit a negative credit deflationary experience, and you you won't get that sustained rise in prices. Right, which is actually, I mean, they're not predicting deflation, but the Fed is. I mean, they'd be very concerned, wouldn't they, if they were listening to this? But they they are saying, yeah, the, the, you know, the inflation that we're seeing, and of course, you know, they had the CPI numbers out of the the United States there the other week, which surprised people because it was a lot higher than anticipated. We'd seen mm. uh, producer prices, you know, the input prices in, uh, in increasing, so we knew it was coming through the supply chain. Now we're seeing it in the uh, CPI figures and the inflation figures in the United States. We're not seeing it quite so much anywhere else in the world. Just yet, mm. um, but the Fed is saying, "Oh, this is you know, this is uh, this is just shocks to the supply chain. It's temporary. It's going to go away. Don't worry your pretty little head about it." And they're probably right on they that. Could, 
They could be on that one. They could be right. I mean, because I mean, the, the, we are we are in completely uncharted waters from now on because we're going to start seeing climate change effects coming through as well. For example, um, you know, Taiwan has a drought right now. You aware of that? No, 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 okay, no. Okay, Taiwan has. A I, I watch the BBC. Drought. I watch the BBC. They don't tell us. They just oh, tell us what's happening know. in the rest of the world. Who knows? Huh. Okay, well, Taiwan is having a serious drought, and Taiwan produces a serious proportion of the world's integrated circuits. Something of the order of eighty to ninety percent of, of, of integrated circuits come out of Taiwan. Mm. Water is an essential input. Uh, the, you know, enormous scales of water for the production process involved in semiconductor plants. No, I knew we had and a big chip now, shortage. I didn't realise the root cause of it. That's, yeah. that's the cause. It's right. drought in Taiwan, which is climate change cause. Now, in that world, uh, well, and I've got a little personal reminder. My uh, my son-in-law put together my new, um, relatively new uh, desktop machine for me about two or three months ago, and he now tells me that this, the gr- graphics because this is also Bitcoin caused, by the way. Mm. So Bitcoin is causing inflation um, because the graphical processor units, GPUs, are used to do the numerical calculations involved in mining Bitcoin. The cost of the video card in my computer is now two thousand US dollars, which is more than the cost of the whole computer when it was bought three months ago. Now that that is actually that's a nice little cameo of what we're talking about here but that'll happen because people think i'm making a bomb out of mining bitcoin right now Mm. Um, so that then justifies them borrowing the money to go and buy the uh, gpu to able to add more more processor cycles to get closer to winning the 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 the, the, the nonce award Um, but if you don't have that in general then people stop buying pcs yeah, and you get a collapse in demand instead. Well, so you know, yeah, so it does level itself out on that basis, doesn't it? And that was going to be my other question as to whether inflation actually is a bit self-correcting. I mean, I hate to talk about equilibrium because uh, I know <laughs> how much you hate that word. But I mean, if you, mm. whenever we peak, so we peaked at four in the UK at four point two percent in two thousand and eight, but it quickly fell. It peaked in two thousand and eleven at five point one percent, but it, but uh, then it fell quickly after that, and even in in two thousand and seventeen. You know, it only reached three point one percent, but then it started to s- slide again. It doesn't seem to stay. You know, and even in you know, go back to nineteen ninety. You know, it got up to eight point two percent. We did have a long period of, you know, like uh, uh, well over a year, like thirty months or so of consecutive months of inflation over five percent. But then after that, you know, it's subdued, and of course, it's never been back up to those levels since. So. Isn't it a bit self-correcting? You know, it's if, if prices get. I mean, you know, from a non-economic point of view, prices get too high, people stop buying stuff, so prices have to come down again. Well, there's a little problem there that that's not supposed to happen in neoclassical theory. The price adjustment is supposed to be independent of effects on the real world. In fact, what, what we're talking about is where the real world kiboshes mm. an increase in prices because you're knocking demand out of the economy, courtesy of the price rise. Yes, uh, it's actually I've got a. a well, why would an, why would neoclassic economists? Have a problem with that? That's just uh, because they want to argue what they call um, uh, uh, money—the absence of money illusion—and so we don't actually think in terms of, uh, of the absolute prices of goods. Uh, we think in the relative prices, oh, yes. and money prices are relevant. Now, if we start saying that changing the money price has effects on the real world, we're out of the neoclassical universe. Right. So, if the price of cars goes up, uh, then we'll look at the price of chocolate biscuits and say, oh, well, look, chocolate biscuits have gone up too, therefore I can afford that car because everything's gone up, even though my salary might not have gone up. 
but I mean the, the reality. No, no, too, too much real world. Sorry, yeah. too much real world. <laughs> <laughs> so, mm. uh, no, they'll just, they'll just basically um, they, they they want to say that, that all you're doing by uh, changing prices. Um, is changing rel- uh, relative uh, attractiveness of different commodities. You're not having an impact on aggregates. Um, so the the absence of money illusion, quote unquote, is an essential part of the foundation of neoclassical um, uh, general equilibrium models. Back yep. to my favourite word again. So they don't want to admit that your uh, changes to interest rates or inflation might work through a real economy mechanism where if, you know there's a uh, a decline in uh, a, a, a massive decline in spending uh, caused by the increase in prices, or 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 the economy is stimulated by an increase in prices. They just don't want to know about that. So they would see that your the fact that your computer that cost you two thousand pounds and might not or two thousand dollars now might cost four thousand dollars or three thousand uh, dollars, and you might not have bought it on that basis. They don't see that. They just see that you'd uh, you'd you'd fork out the extra cash. Oh, so, the desirability of, 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 of uh, computers has gone up compared to the desirability of pigs. It's costing me more pigs to buy the uh, the computer I'm using. Uh, they'd leave out the price dynamics. Right. But, I mean, there's a there's affordability question here, isn't there? <laughs> you know, it's like, mm, can you actually afford world, to be able to, to buy real world again for a while. Yeah, yeah, I know. Because in, the yeah. in, the, in this real world, I'm also looking at, you know, if we're told that inflation is temporary and the Fed is telling us that and we're seeing prices creep up, my response mm. would be, now's a really bad time to buy something that's expensive. I don't want to buy a car if prices are going up this year, but the Fed is telling me this is temporary and inflation won't be around next year. Then I'll wait for my salary to increase a little bit uh, with this rising inflation. And then when price Prices level off, then I'll buy. Why would I buy something if it's getting more expensive? Yeah, and 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 also, I mean, if you don't have the cash flow to support it, yeah. You know, if you actually do have a constrained uh, spending power because you're not going to go and you know, enhance it by borrowing money at the time, then yeah, your response to a price rise is going to be a fall in demand. And this this is what I think is feasible to happen after initial inflationary surge caused by the increase in supply costs, by supply chain disruption, uh, both by COVID and climate change. Once it comes through, its impact will be a decline in demand after the initial increase in prices. And for firms, this this is one reason I talked about the shape of the cost curves that firms actually face. Their, their cost curves are falling. The higher they produce, the lower their unit costs. Uh, so we have an increase in volume you actually get an increase in your margin, even without trying to achieve that. Um, now, if you get forced in the opposite direction, if demand is falling, your per unit costs rise. And if you can't p- pass that on as a price rise itself, your margin falls. And therefore, you have a decline in margin. Uh, you're going to have a decline in investment. So this, mm. is, this is the part of the way that actually does lead to a very severe real-world effect. And that's what I. That's why I'm still expecting a deflationary outcome uh, out of this inflationary surge. So, so the Bitcoin brigade, you know, the the, the Max Kaisers of this world, uh, yeah. who argued that uh, you know you should buy Bitcoin. Well, first of all, because he's got some, uh, so it'll help <laughs> him out. But also, I'm sure there's I'm sure there's more more to it than that, Max. But the, but also, I mean, the argument that's given is that you know there's too much fiat money. You know, we're expanding the money supply too much. That's devaluing the pound or, or the dollar. So buy Bitcoin because it's got scarcity on its side so that and that's you know why we're seeing bitcoin increase so much they would argue while we're seeing the money supply increase but if we are going to see the fed uh, buying less the, uh, the 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 government starting 
starting to pull back, uh, corporate loans decreasing, then that by that same argument, Bitcoin should come down in value, shouldn't it? Because its advan- its its comparative advantage uh, disappears, doesn't it? Because uh, you know, because there's not quite so much fiat money now. Yeah, well, that that that's the story they tell. I mean, that's another that's a whole new different uh, fantasy regimes in neoclassical economics, <laughs> of course. Um, but yeah, that's that's the story they're telling. I mean, it hasn't been a good week for them on that no. front. No, well, last week uh, wasn't. Many, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah but I mean, it, but it, I mean, but they see themselves as a substitute to gold, don't they? But if they're a substitute well, they, for gold, and, why not just buy gold? gold? <laughs> they they are a substitute for gold if you're a dragon that likes sitting on the stuff in Middle Earth. Yeah. Um, because that's what you do with it. You sit on it. You don't. You don't let it. Let it get spent. That's where this wonderful expression "hodl" comes from. And again, the, the trouble with the Bitcoin mob, from my point of view, is they they believe that money should not change in value. Now there are some non-orthodox economists like uh, like um, Soddy who argued uh, for that that you should have a stable value for money. But fundamentally, um, that's focusing on the store of value side of money when. The essential thing for money in a capitalist economy is means of payment. Yeah. And if you have something which is appreciating as fast as Bitcoin can, and which has a whole philosophy of hold on for dear life to it, you're not going to use it for consumption. Um, no. So it's not money. No. And that's why I find the whole argument. Uh, but it's know, also one. Even though been well, fortunes it, made out of it, it ain't money. Yeah, because if you look at a, a, a currency like the pound, for example, well, you know, what's what's the productive power? Uh, that sits behind it. It's the productive power of the UK economy, isn't it? The pound represents the, you know, the the, the economy that the, it represents. Uh, uh, whereas Bitcoin has nothing of any value sitting behind it. I mean, the only value you could associate it with it is the 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 power that was used to create it. Otherwise, it's got no underlying intrinsic value. So. Yeah, I, I just don't get why. I just why is always my question on Bitcoin. Just why. <laughs> mm. And yeah, you don't have an answer to that one. <laughs> You're speechless at last. <laughs> but what? Anyway, so but why? How? Why is it causing inflation then? Just get, take me back to that as to what the effect. Just it's going up in value. Why oh, is Bitcoin, that? Why is then, that? Yeah. Bitcoin. Why is that causing inflation oh, in the wider just a economy? Particular, in particular case, not not a large deal. It's a particular yeah. uh, um, piece of computer yeah. hardware. You need a graphics processor unit uh, to do the you know numerical calculations to um, solve the. For the sequence of zeros that gives you the yeah, you know, you've, you've get all of that. But you but yeah. you made the point that Bitcoin was was adding to inflation oh, it's, currently. It's just where they're making it. Just where they're making it because uh, VGA card, like the card in my computer. If I wanted to sell the card in my computer now, I could get more than I paid for the computer for it. Ah, uh, right, okay. Second so hand. The, all right, okay. so the demand for processing power is getting right, is yeah. being created by the Bitcoiners, which is pushing up the price yeah. of of, of computers being used for productive purposes. For example, like uh, uh, you know podcasts. I, Podcasts. Podcasts. Or, I don't yeah. know, trying to find uh, solutions to, to a virus, for example, that might be ravaging the world as well. You know, all, mm. that, sort of, all that sort of stuff. So uh, so where does where does Friedman fit into all of this then? Because, of course, he, he – I mean, this gets back to the, the, the amount of money in circulation argument, doesn't it? You know, the old uh, – you know, money – money the amount of money and the velocity of money uh, basically determines, you know, the price level. Well, the, So it's MV equals PT, isn't it? So the amount of money, the velocity of money equals P, which is the price level, which is, you know, inflation, and T, which is the value uh, of, of, of how much we spend. So he managed to simplify that equation, didn't he, by saying, well, the velocity is constant, 
uh, probably the value of expenditures as well. So the amount of money basically equals inflation. Uh, but yeah, that, that's what he did. Yeah, <laughs> but that's not what happened. It's happened now, no. for example. And it's also that the money the money is not only created by the Federal Reserve's helicopters; it's created by private banks. Um, um, you know, would you like a loan with that marketing at the uh, the at the teller? Um, so mm. it, it is something which I mean, you know, his. His logic blamed the the helicopters for causing the inflation. In fact, it's the banking sector. Uh, but the banking sector has been taken out of the equation by the, their success in driving up our borrowing over the last 40 years. And therefore, all you've got left is the helicopters. And uh, now, now you've got a government deciding to go in the opposite direction. So, so, um, so is his theory being uh, being proven wrong then, or this this MV? Oh, totally. Because, yeah, because I mean, we have I mean, added a lot of extra money. So M has, you know doubled or whatever uh but we haven't seen prices double and and we've so it's completely disproven yeah but that won't stop people believing it because it, it gives you this nice little neutralized vision of the economy that economy works fine it's just the central bank and the treasury that are to blame and that is such a part of the ideology of economics people will will, will never wake up to the fact that monetarism failed I mean, the interesting thing I've read, just reread recently, Friedman's papers on monetarism and and the central Federal Reserve's reactions to it, and he actually wrote this article for uh, school students in the Journal of Economics Education. This is Milton Friedman, and he complained uh, that the money supply was nowhere near as stable as it should have been uh, after monetarism was practiced, and he was really disturbed by that. Um, uh, blaming the Federal Reserve for not having a steady enough handle on the tiller. <laughs> but in fact, it was the hand in the till that was the matter. That was the banks. And in his model, banks didn't create money, but in the real world, they did. And therefore, the volatility of money was far higher uh, than Friedman thought would be the case after bringing in monetarism. And ultimately, everybody was disappointed by the monetarist experience, including Friedman. Mm. So where do we? So th- this period of inflation we're going to go through right now mm. could actually slow down our our recovery, couldn't it? So because 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 it will delay uh, expenditure. So this bounce back that everyone's expecting with this money we've all supposedly got sitting in our bank accounts waiting to be spent. Uh, if we if we're told that inflation is coming, well, if we're told inflation is coming, it hasn't here got here yet? Then we might rush out and buy stuff in a, in a bit of a hurry. But then when prices start to rise, um, I don't know about you, but I'm always looking for that twenty percent off sticker. And if it's not there, I don't buy it. So, uh, so that's going to delay the recovery. I mean, if we had that fictional money sitting in our bank account, we, which I don't think most people do, um, then um, we might be more keen to save it. And plus, we're more cautious these days, obviously as well. So, uh, yeah, we have to be. Yeah, so I, I, I can just see that the you know, the aggregate demand follow through that's necessary to turn a supply shock into sustained inflation is not there. So I think what we're seeing, rather than people spending, is just that they're going to decide not to spend, uh, and therefore the, it's going to be uh, the increase in prices causing a fall in aggregate demand at some point, not the increase in prices causing a continuing increase in prices with a sustained level of aggregate demand underlying it. Which is a bit of a shame because actually for those corporations that are borrowed, a bit of inflation would be a good thing, wouldn't it? Well, if, if it was if, if, it, if, it, if, it, didn't, yeah. if it didn't impact demand for their goods, but in terms of paying off their loan, obviously it would devalue their loan over time. Well, that's what actually happened. When you look back at the, uh, the, the 70s and 80s, what happened then was you had such a high level of inflation that on occasions, even when you were paying interest rates of 17%, 
that was a negative real rate because inflation rate was running at 19 and 20 percent. Uh, so at that period, yeah, it did reduce the, the, the real, there was a, a fall in the real debt burden, even though debt continued to rise. And the reason was the monetary value of GDP was rising faster than the outstanding monetary value of debt. And uh, and that's what gave you a revival. And that's actually, uh, neoclassicals like to believe there's no Keynesian explanation for stagflation. But it was in written by Minsky before the period actually appeared. And that was an argument that if you have uh, a, a booming economy before you go into a slump, and the 60s, the 70s was the classic big boom in the economy, then, then a slump afterwards, then the... If inflation occurs in that environment, you have a decline in the level of investment, so the economy is growing more slowly because there has been a slump and people are investing less, so the economy is growing more slowly. But the the momentum of price inflation is still coming through. Uh, that you know the 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 the, uh, the positive feedback from price rises causing more price rises in adjustments down the line, and that will mean that therefore the monetary value of debt remains fairly constant because people aren't borrowing, but the monetary value of GDP increases because of the increase in the price level. You'll have a fall on the debt burden, and that will then trigger another boom. And that was uh, the explanation that that uh, Minsky gave for stagflation before stagflation actually happened. So what about this argument that uh, we're going to see wage inflation? And I think there's two arguments here. Uh, one is that uh, companies in America are saying that they are having difficulty recruiting people, even though there's 8 million people uh, still out of work who had a job before. Uh, and, you know, you could say, well, that's because they're the wrong jobs or the wrong people. Uh, take your pick. But, you know, we've we've seen a restructuring of the economy. So people have been trained in the wrong things uh, or don't have the skills. And so that's uh, that. So companies are having to pay more to get the right people to switch to their companies. And then there's another argument, which is being given by some Republicans, uh, that the uh, the state aid, which is being offered, the extra money, the six, is it $600 per fortnight or whatever it is, which is being added on top of your unemployment benefit, is uh, dissuading people from actually going back to work because they because they can't make that much more money. So companies are having to pay more to get over the the, the benefits which are being provided by, by by the government, and that could create inflation because because it's going to create um, wage pressures. Yeah, I mean, there's, there are parts of the American economy where that that makes sense, but it's because those parts of the economy are so sick. Mm. Uh, that, one, one of those little cameos that stuck in my mind forever was I was in a conference in Florida with a whole bunch of uh, uh, fairly religious people at a conference uh, organised by, oh, my memory of the names has gone out the window. But anyway, um, and... God. It just con- no, God, that'll do, yeah. yeah. Um, a local representative. And um, <laughs> uh, we went out for dinner and the bill came around and it included a you know a suggested 20% gratuity yeah and the, the these are a lot of people from the third world and they were objecting to having to pay another 20% on top of the written bill and i said look you have to pay it because if you don't the waiters and waitresses here get get nothing and one of them came a young woman and and, and you know quite articulate, uh, probably a university student, I imagine, came over and said, excuse me, I couldn't help it over here, conversation. Uh, our pay rate uh, without tips is $2.37 per hour. Mm. Okay. So in that world, I mean, 
big restaurants are complaining they can't get staff to work as waiters. Well, no bloody no 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 surprise, mate. Yeah, yeah. Because the wage offering is so low and the dependence on chips is so high that if you get a decent level of energy, you're not going to be working in a restaurant. Yeah. So the, um, so there's a whole there's a whole yeah, exactly raising so there's a whole different scenario, isn't it, in the United States yeah, where yeah. actually they may get a bit of rebalancing coming out of all of this where people are actually yeah, demanding. They, they need it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The fact that you the fact that the legal way I think it's still the case the legal pay rate for the restaurant for waiters in a restaurant in America I think is still well, maybe two dollars and thirty cents. It's calculated three dollars an hour. I know. Well, it's huh? calculated based on getting that twenty percent tip, isn't it? That's yeah, that's how yeah. it's calculated. The and minimum, that's the minimum wage. The risk it, of capitalism to the workers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a shocker, absolutely. So, inflation. Mm. You think? I and mean, the, the inflation that we're going to see this year, then, and perhaps ne- into next year as well, is going to be temporary. Then, you want the, the first thing you've think you've ever agreed with the Fed on, uh, and it's probably going to be very much limited to specific industries and product types, isn't it? Because it is it is all going to be. Mm. So supply chain driven it's going to be supply chain disruption if there's no supply chain disruption um then there's no reason why prices would rise because everybody is going to be fighting for the demand from consumers and uh, yeah, which, which yeah it, that's basically you're not putting out the prices unless you have no choice because there's some increase in your supply chain that you, you know, if you if you don't pass it on you go bankrupt yeah so that that's that's the potential, and then but, the question is, what happens to the demand for that economy, for that market segment? So we'll we'll soon see if there's nothing independent like you know, Bitcoin pushing it up, and then the demand will fall. Yeah, and then we're back to where we were before, which is very low inflation for a long period of time. I mean, we've we, yeah. we, we've not seen inflation over five percent since 1990, really. So is that yeah. the norm now? What what what's going to ever bring back inflation? Yeah, well, I think it is the norm because, I mean, this is why I'm you know, doing a bit of simple mathematical logic on what actually drives inflation. You find ultimately that the, uh, the you know, I'll use equilibrium here as just a, a balancing point. Uh, the equilibrium price level is the money wage divided by the output per worker uh, and where the output, where the denominator is the, is the money is the output per worker and uh, the inverse of the markup that, uh, that firms put on. Uh, uh, their commodities. So, if you have a, a a rise in the markup, that will cause a rise in prices. Now, the the markup is not going to rise; it's going to fall. So that's deflationary. Money wages aren't going up, uh, mm. so that's deflationary. Then you have output per worker. Uh, if if that um, goes up, then you uh, it goes down. Then you're going to have uh, potential inflation coming out of it. All of them argue for a slump. Uh, and not for sustained price rises after this supply shock. Mm. All right. Well, there we are. Uh, we'll leave it there for now. It's good to talk again, Steve. Okay. Catch you again next okay. time. Okay. Thank okay. you. Okay, bye. And we forget, don't we? Before all of this started, we were looking and wondering, where is inflation? Are we going to see deflation? Uh, that's been off the agenda for the last year and a half, but how quickly will it come back again? We'll see, won't we? That's it for today. That's the Debunking Economics podcast, back with another one next week. I'm Phil Dobby with Steve Keen. See you then. Thanks for listening. 
If you've enjoyed listening to Debunking Economics, uh, even if you haven't, you might also enjoy the Y Curve. Each week, Roger Hearing and I talk to a guest about a topic that is very much in the news that week. It's lively, it's fun, it's informative. What more could you want? So search the Y Curve in your favourite podcast app or go to ycurve.com to listen.